invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23 today. And as you're turning there, uh, Colossians found, you know, in the New Testament uh, after Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But before you hit to uh, Hebrews, uh, tucked in there next to Philippians, as you're turning there, I'll remind us that we've spent the bulk of our time this fall looking at the idea of transforming principles for living in God's grace as a church, these sort of core values that we believe would undergird us as a church body. Uh, We've talked about this all under the heading of our vision to glorify God by inviting all into God's grace. So these ideas of glory and grace are certainly out there for us. And and then, of course, today, as we think about welcoming uh, new members into our church body and think about what that idea of the church body means and even peer a little bit just two weeks ahead to the start of Advent, I, I thought this would be a good passage for us that brings together a lot of those things and in particular points us to Jesus, the incredible one, who's at the center of all of those realities for us. And we're going to look today and see uh, Jesus' incredible nature as fully God and fully man. Also look at his uh, rule, loving authority over the church body, the believers, uh, in numbering including us. And then as well look at his, of course, glorious reconciling work. And, and out of all of that, hopefully begin to, to think in a fresh way today about what it means to walk stable and steadfast in the hope of the gospel. So stand with me and read along silently as I read aloud Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. You may be seated as you do. Let me pray again for us. Oh, Lord, we thank you that uh, although all of us are like grass, uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, your word does not. It stands forever, and we ask that you would minister the truths, the realities revealed in your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, the Incredibles is certainly one of my favorite animated uh, movies of recent years. The uh, story, if you're maybe not familiar with it, begins with the Parr family, P-A-R-R, I think probably a play on par for the course or average, because as you know, if you've seen the film, they're nothing of average. They're rather incredible. Young uh, Jack-Jack, who's still an infant, has shape-shifting powers. The uh, child who's in his sort of adolescent years, Dash, well, you can guess what he does particularly well. Violet is the sort of junior high daughter who's able to create a sort of force field around herself and sometimes become invisible. The mother of the Parr family, Helen, is her code name. Uh, She is actually Elastigirl, who is able to bend and flex and stretch and reach in all kinds of ways. I'm sure no pun meant on the task of many mothers in our (laughs) congregation here. And then, of course, there's the dad, Bob, Mr. Incredible himself. The problem with the Incredibles is that they've been put in a sort of witness protection program. They've been domesticated. Because they're disrupting the world of regular people. They're not only disrupting it, but they sort of make others around them feel less important, less valuable, a little bit inferior when they're around. So whatever the governing body is that oversees the Incredibles has put them in disguise out through typical suburbia. And this really doesn't work all that well, particularly for Dad and for Dash, who don't like conforming to this new program. But there's really a bigger problem than just the struggles for the Parr family. And that is that, unbeknownst to everyone... They're in a world that's facing great turmoil and trouble. Off out in the ocean somewhere is the evil one, Syndrome is his name, who's plotting dastardly deeds for the world. The story of the Incredibles is interesting when we think about their world and the need that they have of these incredible ones, their only hope really for rescue from syndrome is that the incredible ones would be allowed to be incredible, all of who they truly are. As we look at our passage today, if you'll let me parlay this into thinking about our Redeemer we have a description for us in Colossians of the only truly incredible one. Jesus laid out before us with many of His accomplishments and achievements and even His sheer identity as the Divine One laid out before us. The challenge for us, I think, is that sometimes allowing Jesus, even meditating on Him and thinking about Him and wanting Him to work in our lives and all of His incredible power and His incredible identity is a little intimidating for us. It's a little challenging for us to want to receive Him in all of His power. And if we're honest about it too, we 
feel like maybe things are going pretty good in, in our world or in our little part of the world, and we're not sure, like the folks of the Incredibles movie, that we really even need an incredible one. We're maybe not aware of how much influence the evil one is already having, is already working in our lives and in our world. And so we set the incredible one, Jesus, to the side. We sort of ask him to enter into a witness protection program, and we're happy to have him sort of part of our community, but we're not really comfortable with him fully reigning, him fully working in our lives in the way that he wants to and should. If you follow along with me in your worship guide, you can. This main idea that I think the Scriptures bring to us from this, and that is that we've actually got a great privilege that we can walk through life stable and steadfast in the hope of the gospel because Jesus is that incredible one. So where we might push him to the side and want to relegate him without realizing it, we're actually losing that thing that gives us stability steadfastness and hope in the midst of a lost and broken world, in the midst of our own lost and broken lives. And I thought about it this way. There's uh, at least three D's I can think of as to why we struggle to walk steadfastly and stable in that hope of the gospel. One is that we wrestle with discouragements. Even if we've come and put our trust and faith in Christ, One of the things that's hard to realize right away after you come to maybe that conversion point in your life or maybe come to a point of reviving, seeing your faith kind of grow, and then all of a sudden right around the corner comes discouragement. And it hits us in the face and it knocks us back and it makes it difficult to walk stable and steadfast in the hope of the gospel. Not just discouragement, but doubts come in and hit us, don't they? Doubts about exactly what Christ is doing in the world. If he is so incredible, where is his power in this particular situation that I seem to feel I need him so much or it seems like the world would need him? Where is he? And then a third D is just distraction. We've got lots of incredible stuff in our lives other things that seem pretty incredible and that threaten to pull our attention away from the incredible one. And so it's interesting to walk through our passage today as we uh, look at each of these verses to see at least three things about Jesus that really pop out for us today. One is that he's incredible as the divine man, as fully God, fully man. The second is that he's incredible in his loving rule over his body, the church. And the third one is that he's incredible as the reconciling, redeeming one that graciously steps into our lives and saves us. These maybe aren't brand new things for a lot of us here today to think about. I hope we'll see not just that these are realities, but that they're incredible things that we're able to think about each week, pray about, that connect us together as a body of believers. So look with me at verse 15 in Colossians chapter 1. It starts out in this amazing description of Christ in saying that he is the image of the invisible God. And it's always interesting when you see passages and it 
says one phrase and it's connected to another. Maybe you've got a study Bible where it links you over to another passage. And then you, you know, you flip over and look at the other passage. It may be written by a completely different author of that particular book of Scripture. It may be in the Old Testament instead of the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, it's interesting, starts out with this in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It's just a few pages further back in your Bible if you want to flip there. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he's spoken to us by his son. Okay, so who is this guy that's speaking to us that we have the opportunity to listen to and get get hope from and walk steadfastly and stable in? It says, His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Interesting, isn't it? How many things in that Hebrews passage parallel with what we read in our Colossians passage. But the the main one I want us to see out of the gate is the reality that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But one of the incredible things about Jesus is that when we read about him in Scripture, when we seek him out in prayer, we learn about him and are growing in him, we are seeing God. We're seeing who God is, that God's made that available for us, for our vision. The second part of that first verse, it says, He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, we just read that alone by itself. We probably struggle, like the early church did, of trying to figure out, okay, is Jesus, uh, we know He's divine, we know He's the Son of God, but is He sort of a created one? How does that work? Let's read a couple more verses and we'll start to piece it together. Verse 16, it says, For by Him all things were created. It was interesting. He's the firstborn. And yet everything that we see and know in the universe extends from him. So he comes before those things. Not just a few things, but it says in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, things that you and I can't even see, powers and authorities. Jesus was involved in putting all of that in place. That's part of his divine nature. And then verse 17 continues telling us that he's before all things. And then I love this verse at the end of verse 17. And I hope you do as well. That in him all things hold together. We just read something similar in the Hebrews passage where it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, I don't know about you. We Our, our first home that we owned and enjoyed owning and living there was uh, up towards uh, Simmons and Gwynn uh, Elementary School up in sort of Bluff Park area. And uh, it was, I guess, when we moved in at least a 30-year-old home or so. And, and we loved it. But as you can imagine, that it had been there for a little while. And when the homes have been there for a little while, things start to come apart a little bit. It's been interesting to have a, a newer home that we moved into a, a couple of years ago at, uh, around the time when we began the church plant. And, uh, and I think it's built well. I think it's in good shape and so forth. But already, 
got a few little screws from the sheetrock, you know, popping out. A little, you know, piece of trim over here that's not quite attached the way it was supposed to be. Some, some caulking around the windows outside that needs to be done. Everything in life is like that, isn't it? It's kind of moving apart unless something comes in to help hold it together. That's not just something for our homes. That's something for our lives, isn't it? There's probably folks here today that either today or this last week or in a week or two weeks or a month are going to be at a place where you feel like life is coming apart. And what a beautiful thing to know that Jesus holds us together, holds each one of us together. If he can hold the universe together, surely he can be the source of adhesion for your life and my life to keep us together. So too with the things that we see coming apart in this world. Can I explain all of what's going on with a huge typhoon hitting this country and or this country halfway across the world and much devastation coming. I don't know that I, I can grasp all of that, but I know this that in the midst of that we have the promise that Jesus is holding all things together. Do you believe that today? For your life, for the life of your family, for the life of your community, for the life of this world. That the hope is Jesus and his divine nature holds all things together. Second thing we see here, and it's just one short little verse, but it's really interesting, is verse 18. And it reveals to us this idea that Jesus is the head of the church. That he's incredible as the head of the church. It just is very succinct. It says, and he's the head of his body the church. Now, I don't know, you know, we might look at this and say, well, just, you know, a couple little words in the middle of the passage, Chris. Maybe you go on and, you know, blow on past that and get to something more important. Obviously, there's some other issue that's more important because there's only a few little words about it. I kind of look at it the other way. Isn't it wild that in the midst of a passage where the Apostle Paul is describing cosmic realities about Christ and his nature, that he holds the whole universe together. Then we're going to go on and see in a minute he's going to describe how he redeems and saves and rescues sinners and conquers the worst threat that we have, our own sin. But right tucked in the middle of that, sandwiched in there, he decides to tell us, oh, by the way, this same incredible one that I'm describing to you, creator and redeemer, he's also the one that's taking care of the church. He's the one leading the church. He's the one guiding the church what a privilege that we have and you know the church fathers maybe said it a little bit stronger than we would like for it to be said but i i think it's pretty accurate they said really if you think about it you can't have god as your father without the church as your mother and what they meant by that was that Christ is at work. Now, he's at work in the world in all kinds of ways, not just through the church, but the primary way that he's working out his plan in the world is this thing called the body of Christ. And it's called the body of Christ for a reason, because Christ is right in the midst of it. 
And so today, as we sit here, and we're going to go in a few minutes, I know everybody's already thinking about it, and enjoy a meal and sit across tables from one another and enjoy that fellowship. And, and as you bump into one another throughout the week, out at the Target or at the kids' sports practice, and greet each other and say hello, we are actually seeing Christ. Christ in the midst of His body. Christ building up His body. As new folks are coming into our church body today, that's what's happening Christ is at work in his body. Third and last thing for us to see in this passage, and it's uh, equally as monumental as the other things I've mentioned and could arguably be even greater, I suppose, is uh, just beginning in uh, verse 19, if you look there with me, this idea that Christ is incredible as a gracious redeemer and we can we can have a steadfast and stable hope in the gospel in him because of his redeeming work verse 19 for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him okay so what what does this fullness do what does this fully god nature do for us what's a, what's the end game not just the creation of the world and all things holding together but he's going to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then read this next verse as well. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless without reproach before him. This just immediately takes my mind and maybe yours Back to that passage in Leviticus 16, where the high priest is gathering together before the people of God on the Day of Atonement. And he takes these uh, two creatures, these two lambs or goats or whatever they were, and, and he places on their head his hands. And I've always loved this picture, because when he places his hands on that animal's head, what he's saying is what's true for all of us, and for me, in his case, the high priest, is that it's going to be true for these animals. And you remember what happens to the animals? There's two of them, and it's interesting that they, they have two because you can't illustrate both realities without two. One, of course, has gone off to be sacrificed, symbolizing the, the death that we deserve because of our hostility, because of turning against God and all the ways we do. Do you remember what happens with the other one? Sent off. Sent off out away from the camp, out away from the people, off into the wilderness. A picture of that alienation that we also deserve. You know, eternity outside of Christ involves that eternal death, if you will. But also one of the biggest things is alienation from God. What a privilege today that you and I have the opportunity to be reconciled to God, even though, as the passage says, we don't just you know, turn away from God in our emotions or in some of our actions. We're actually wired, because of our sin, to be hostile to God in our minds. You ever think about that? It's, it's real easy when 
perhaps, you know, like a number of us here in this room, maybe, maybe have some college training, maybe have several degrees that we've accumulated and maybe put those into practice for our employment and they're rewarded. Or, or maybe you've just used your, your wits, your, your savvy, your mental acumen, and you don't have all of those credentials, but they've been available to you to help advance in life and in your career. It's very easy to forget that the Bible says this thing up here, all of us, we're not right in the head. We literally are not right in the head because of the fall in our brokenness. So in all of those ways, Jesus, it tells, you, tells us, doesn't, of course, leave us there. He works in our lives through his sacrifice in order to present us holy and blameless before God without reproach. What an incredible Savior. What an incredible one. I was thinking about all of this and trying to kind of bring it together in my mind. And, and it was interesting. I don't know if you all noted how many got a chance to watch the trailer for the new Noah movie. Who watched that this week? If you raise your hand. A few people. Okay, somebody. I'm, I'm on the cutting edge. Amazing. First time in my life. Well, when you get a chance, uh, you know, pull that thing up, YouTube it or, or whatever. There's a new movie coming out. And uh, Russell Crowe is the star of it. Who knows where they're going to go with the story of Noah, okay? So I'm just going ahead and saying that ahead of time. We have no idea where that might be. Might have zombies in the middle of the story of Noah, for all I know. But, um, but it was interesting to see that that came out, and, and, and I'm just making an observation. It was interesting that that came out in the same week that a typhoon hit a particular country in the world. And it was interesting to think about just the whole message that we have in our passage here about creation, about Jesus being involved in creation, about the reality of fall, our fallenness, about the idea of redemption, that God is working salvation, and then what we call, the theologians call consummation, that things are coming to some wonderful, awesome point of heavenly uh, life for all those who trust in him. And it was interesting to think about that for what happens at the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve created good, fall into sin, see redemption in the fact that God still interacts with them and sort of protects them. And then he even tells them, hey, someone's going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent. There's a promise of something future that's going to be great. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And then to think about that with this reality of Noah and what Noah does, the, the world was created by, by God and there's this fall and there's this amazing moment in that little trailer even where Russell Crowe, as only Russell Crowe can do with his Hollywood, uh, you know, his Hollywood speaking and his accent and, and just all that, that he is as an actor. And the, these crowds are gathering together the ark and around the ark and they're upset with what he's doing and building this boat. And the, uh, the antagonist, whoever the evil guy is, we don't know yet who his character is, but he says, how are you going to do all of this alone? And Russell Crowe looks him right in the eye and says, I'm not alone. And it made me think about our passage today, how just like in creation, just like with Noah, we see rescue, we see redemption, that we see this all laid out again for us. Jesus Christ, Creator, all things come through Him. We're fallen, we're broken, we're hostile to God in our mind. Jesus Christ, Redeemer, He's going to bring everything together. And oh yes, we've got the promise of eternal life with Him as well.
Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank You for the preeminence of Your Son. And we come here today as we're coming to the conclusion of our worship time and we worship Jesus. We bow down in our hearts and minds to Him. We surrender to Him. We love Him because of all the incredible things that are true of Him. Lord, we ask that You would fill us with more of who Christ is that we might be able to walk uh, all the more steadfast and stable in the hope, the only hope, that is found for us in Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.